Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. John, so if you want to open your Bible, your iPad, your Galaxy, whatever, to uh, 1 John chapter 1, I'm going to try to finish off chapter 1, and I'm going to do the first two verses in chapter 2. And that doesn't seem like a logical break. You say, why would you continue on into chapter 2? Well, we have to remember that, that the words are inspired, right? We believe that the words are inspired. The chapter breaks are not. So sometimes they don't fall in really the, the most logical place. So it just makes more sense to follow along with the theme by going into the first couple of verses of chapter 2. So that's what we're going to do. Before we get started, I would like to read these scriptures to you. Now please follow along with me. We're using the Holman Christian Standard Version is what I'll be reading from. But please follow along with me. I just want to read these. I think reading the scripture out loud just adds, a, a, I don't know, a special blessing. It just makes it a little bit, a little bit more spiritual in some way by reading them out loud. So, so here we go. 1 John 1, verses 5 through 2, 2. Fellowship with God. Verse 5. Now, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying. And are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing the, you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the perpetuation of our sins. And not only ours, but those of the whole world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. We thank you for, for the light that you shine into this dark world. We thank you for all that your son has done for us. We thank you for this time we can gather together to study your word and to fellowship with one another and to share our lives and to share our hearts and to share our spirits. Lord, I ask that you be with this congregation this morning as we delve into your word. May you illuminate it in their hearts. May you make these words that are yours become theirs, become part of who they are. Lord, I ask that you be with me, that you give me the words to speak. and The things I say here today are the message you would have me give, that they be your words and not mine. I ask for the blessing on all that are here. Give us your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So let's back up a little bit. Let's, let's kind of review just a second about First John. Do you remember why John wrote this short little letter, First John? 
He wrote it because there was some false teaching going about. The, the churches were, were being inundated with false prophets and false teachings. There were basically, really, actually two groups of people that he was trying to refute their false doctrine. And it was the, it was the Christians that were meeting in the synagogues that were trying to, bring, to make Christianity just a sect of Judaism. And they were trying to, to, to enforce all the Jewish law and custom upon the newly converted Christians. And they were the legalists. And, and then on the other hand, there were the Gnostics. Now, the Gnostics were a pagan, a pagan group. They were following pagan practices, but they were kind of indoctrinating or kind of assimilating Christianity into their pagan religion. And one of their teachings was that, that Jesus Christ was the Savior, but it was a special knowledge of Jesus that saved you. It wasn't your acceptance of, of Jesus as your Savior. It was the, the special knowledge, and that's what Gnosticism means. It means knowledge. So they knew something that everybody else didn't. And it's the special something that they knew that made them holy and made them good. And they believed that man was inherently good. That it was culture and society that made them evil and made them do evil things. But internally, man was inherently good. So if you had this special knowledge, if you knew this, this hidden secret that nobody else knew, then there was no sin in you and you could do pretty much anything you wanted to. Anything they did was justifiable and they didn't consider it sin. So as we go through this, we'll, we'll talk about Gnosticism a little bit more as we go through. But keep that in the back of your mind. The, the purpose for writing this letter is, is to, to refute these, these, false prophets, these false prophets and their false doctrines. That man is inherently good and nothing they did was sinful. They were good just because of who they were and what they knew. So we'll start from there. So let's look at verse 5. It says, verse 5 says, John, 1 John 1, 5 says, Now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. Okay, ready? God is light. Now what does that mean? God is light. Well, think about it. On the first day, what did God create? Created light. Okay. But it wasn't until much later, fourth day, that he created the sun and the moon and the stars. So the first thing God created is light. We use this, I don't know, almost as a metaphor for good and holiness and righteousness. Light. Everything that's in the light is good and holy. And we contrast that with darkness. So he says, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. God is good. God is righteous. Everything that God does will stand up to broad daylight. He's got nothing to be ashamed of. He's got nothing he has to, has to hide. Because God is light. And what does he call us to be? What does God call us to be as Christians? What does he tell us we are? We're the light of the world. We are the light of the world. God's light shines out to the world from us and through us. He calls us to be light. He calls us to be right and holy and, and, and righteous. We are the lampstand. We are the lamp on the lampstand. We're the city on the hill that can't be hidden. So when God, when God is referring to his children, he refers to us as what? As light. 
which means good and holy and righteous and reflective of him. We're to let the light shine in his light shine in the world through our lives. So God is light and there is no darkness in him. So what does it mean that there's no darkness in him? There's nothing unholy. There's nothing unrighteous. There's nothing that that can't be seen in the light of day. Now, have you ever thought about it? This is more than just a metaphor. This is this is an actual physical reality, isn't it? Anybody, have any of you ever been to Vegas? I'm sorry. I'm praying for all of you. Okay, you go to Vegas and at night. It's bright and shiny and the lights are all going and the thing and there's a lot of excitement and, then, you know, and the strippers are on the corner and they're anyway. OK, then you come back to Vegas the next day. What do you see? It's dark. It's dirty. It's garbage in the street. There's winos on the corner. Right. That sin looks really good and really attractive in the dark, doesn't it? Because you can hide in the dark. I've, I've often wondered why I don't, I don't go to bars and taverns and things, but I've been in them enough to ask directions or something. No, I've been in them enough to know that they're usually dark. Right? You go in there and there's the stools all lined up. You got the Budweiser sign in the back and that's it. The lights are off and the music's on. Why? Why do you think that's the environment they deliberately create? Because you can be anonymous. You can hide. You can go into this environment and you're under cover of darkness. So the sin that's so prevalent in in places like this is actually part of the darkness. So this is much more than a metaphor. What do we do? What do we do? We do everything. We we do our stuff in the daylight. We do our stuff out. What Christians do, we do in plain sight in front of everybody without trying to hide. We don't need the darkness to to kind of be anonymous. Well, I really I don't really want anybody to see me coming into here. Well, think about it. If you don't want anybody to see you going in there, you shouldn't be going in there. Right. So there's no darkness in him and there should be no darkness in us. We should be up front with everything we do. And that's one thing I like about evangelical Christians. We've got no secrets. There's nothing about Christianity that is a secret uh, ceremony, if we're doing it right. In fact, everything we do is open to the public, and we invite non-believers to come and see it and witness it. We want to do it in broad daylight in front of God and everybody else. So I start to worry about organizations that have secrets. Now, some of you may be Masons, and I'm not... I'm not going to hammer the Masons or whatever, but it makes me wonder why that their rituals have to be secret. What is it they don't want known? Christianity, everything is in the light. And there's no darkness in it. So light is good. Darkness is evil. Get the contrast? Opposite ends of the spectrum? So let's read on verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him... The light, but we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. That's true. So if we claim to be in the light, but we're walking in the darkness, what's that saying about us? That we're not very Christian like, that we're lying. 
We haven't let we still haven't let go of that dark side of our of our of our person. We haven't let go of that sin. Yeah, we're claiming Jesus Christ, but we're still living like the world. Doing things in darkness, doing things in secret. We have to sneak around. I don't really want anybody to know I'm doing this. Man, I'm a deacon. What would happen if they found out that I was going to this strip club? Not saying that our deacons go to strip clubs. I don't think they do. But, but you know, they haven't let, they're lying. They're two-faced. They're, they're, they're living a double life. There's no light in them. Then They're not practicing the truth. Because, think about it. If you turn on the light, what does the darkness do? Scripture says that the light, the darkness will flee in the presence of light. You can't have both. You can't have both light and dark. It's got to be one or the other. So we can't live for Christ and live in the darkness at the same time. We can't. It's not possible. You either are or you aren't. You're either in the light or you're in the dark. There's nothing in between. And it's not legitimate to have shades of darkness. I don't want to be, I'm kind of over here in the gray a little bit. I'll get, I'll get over here. Where's that light? Oh, okay, I'll get over here. Well, that's, there's another light. Wait a minute. We can't do that. We either have to be standing right here in the spotlight for everybody to see. Or we've got to hide in the back room. There's nothing in between. It's not legitimate for a Christian to be living a double life. So we can't coexist with the darkness. If we are the light, we have to be the light. If not, you're not practicing the truth. Let's look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, we talked about fellowship with one another last week. And Pastor John talked about all the responsibilities of fellowship, all the benefits of fellowship, all the dangers, the things that can jeopardize our fellowship. We talked about that all last week. So it's important that we have this fellowship one with another. Now, does this fellowship that occurs between you and I and and amongst Christians... Does that just happen? Does it, it, you have to cultivate it. But isn't it funny? Have, have you noticed this? We're the only organization in the world that I know of that you become a brother and sister in Christ. You're instantly part of the family and you're instantly loved by people that you've never met. You and I could walk into any evangelical, well, any church, any good Bible-believing church, whether evangelicals or not. You could walk into any Bible-believing Christian fellowship, and you should, if they're walking in the light, be instantly, one, recognized for who you are, and two, accepted into the body, as part of the body of Christ. Right? Do you know anybody else that acts like that? Any other organization you can think of, you've got to earn your way in. You have to earn their confidence. You have to prove yourself. That's not true for us. We've already earned our way in. We've already earned the confidence of God by accepting his son. So we have this fellowship. This fellowship that we have 
is more than just friendship, isn't it? I love every one of you. Some of you I don't like very much, but I love you. Okay, just kidding. Right? It's more than just friendship. We have responsibility toward each other. But not only that, we have a desire to serve each other. So this goes much deeper than mere friendship because we are now family. Why is that? This is spiritual, folks. This isn't something we do. This isn't cultural. The world forms friendships because they're networking. What can I get from it? If I associate with this person, it'll get me into this group and I'll be accepted by that group. Or if I associate with this person, then, then they can help me when I am in a time of need. Because I have no family. I'm in the military and I'm stationed someplace and my family's a thousand miles away. But if my car breaks down while well, I'm deployed, who's going to take care of my wife and kids? So I form friendships for this backup. See how one way in self-serving that is? What's our view of, of fellowship? I'm here to serve you. I'm not here to get anything out of this relationship. I'm here to serve you. What can I do to make your life better? And if I get nothing back, that's fine. Because I get blessings from serving you. That's a rabbit trail. I like rabbit trails, but sometimes you've got to come back. Okay. So verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, you have fellowship with one another. Okay, why? Last part of this verse. Remember, I just said it's spiritual. There's more to this than just culture. And the blood of Jesus, his son, that cleanses us from all sin. Wow. Okay. That's the gospel message. In condensed form, in how many words? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten words. Why do we have this fellowship with each other? Why are we walking in the light? Why do we have this spiritual connection? Why are we all members of the same family? Because the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's why. We can't make this stuff up. We can't have this community on our own. If we were to get together and form a social organization, uh, the eternal order of, of people that like each other, it would fail. Because sin is in the middle of it. But what we have is different because of what? Because the, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, here we go. Pastor's going to start preaching on sin. Yes, I am. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Okay, so what is sin? If you've been around a Baptist church more than 15 minutes, you've heard about sin. So everybody knows what sin is, right? How would you define sin in your own? If, if I had to ask you to come up here and give me uh, a definition of the words of sin, what would you say? Sorry, missed the mark. Yeah, he's he's reading ahead. Sin literally means you know what, you know what the word is in Greek. Okay, smart Alec. 
I won't pronounce it right. Hamaretta. Ham, or, no, I'm, I'm not hitting the pronunciation. I'm not hitting the emphasis right. It's H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. Okay, that's the word in Greek. And it means missing the mark. It's an, it's an archery term. Okay, so we could do a whole sermon on what it means to miss the mark as far as God is concerned. What's God's mark? What is it that God set out there? What, what's the bullseye that we're supposed to hit? Perfection. Right? And every one of us is completely perfect all the time, according to the Gnostics. So we're always on the mark, no matter what we do. Anything we do is acceptable because of what we know. We're always on the mark. Now, is that true for us? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm perfect. And I hit the mark every time. No. In fact, I'm not even sure where the target's at sometimes. Sometimes I'm shooting in the dark. But it literally means missing the mark. But in practice, what does sin mean? We know what it means, literally. But in practice, what does it mean? Moving away from God. Sin is darkness. We talked about darkness. Sin is reaction to light. Moving away from the things of God and righteousness. And here, here's a little, here's a little, this is extra. I won't charge you for this. If you ever, have you ever wondered, have you ever stopped and thought about something and said, man, I would really like to do this, but I'm, a, I'm not sure if that's sin or not. Well, the Holy Spirit will convict you, right? That's the Holy Spirit's job is to convict you of sin. And, and there's several ways you'll do that. Sometimes they'll bring somebody in your life that'll hit you up the side of the head and say, what are you doing? And that's what we're supposed to do for each other. We're supposed to hold each other accountable. And we'll talk about confessing our sin here in just a minute. But if you ever wonder if something you're thinking about doing is sin, ask yourself a couple of questions. First of all, ask yourself, am I ashamed of what I'm doing? And, what would, and, and would I be embarrassed if anybody caught me at it? Can I do it in the daylight in front of God and everybody? It, if you have to ask the question, don't do it. See, Earl knows. Earl, you're not really getting to preach today, buddy. I was just kidding. So if you're ashamed of it and you have to hide it, if you have to do it in the darkness, if you have to sneak in and say, boy, I hope nobody from Victory Church sees me do this. I took the Victory sticker off the back of my car so nobody would know that when they saw it in the parking lot. You shouldn't really, probably shouldn't be doing it. Does the activity make you uncomfortable with the things of God? Are you doing something that makes you say, man, I don't really want to read my Bible because it might convict me that what I'm doing is wrong. I really don't want to go to church because those, you know, those church people, they're probably going to hold me accountable for what I'm doing. Does it make you uncomfortable around the light? That's the second thing. And the biggest one. Will, any, will innocent people be hurt by what I'm doing? Think about sin. Think about the ramifications of sin. 
It always comes home to roost. You see, because, because sin is, 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 the, is exactly the opposite of righteousness, right? So if you're living righteously, you're expecting your gratification sometime in the future, right? We're, we're, we're just passing through this life with a greater reward. Now, it doesn't mean we're not rewarded here on earth. It doesn't mean we don't receive blessings, but our biggest blessing is yet to come. Our gratification is yet to come. We're storing up our treasures in heaven. But the world gets their gratification now with the consequences to follow. Sin is always fun first and then pay later. Right? If you look at just about any sin, if you think about it long enough and you think through it and, and, and watch, the, watch the consequences as they come home to roost. There are always innocent people that are hurt. You may get your just reward. You may, things may happen to you. You may have consequences that fall on you because of what you've done and you deserve them. You've got nothing to say. But what's it doing to your wife and kids? What's it doing to your extended family? What's it doing to the people that love you when they see you suffering so that little uh, affair on the side, maybe, okay, gratification now, but, it, but the consequences follow, that doesn't just affect you. There's no such thing as a victimless crime. It affects everyone around you. And if you claim to be a Christian, it affects your brothers and sisters in Christ, and it affects your church, and it bears, it bears false witness to Christ. So think about it. But John is not saying that we, those who are in the light, will have no sin. He's not saying that. He's saying that, that we are special. He's not saying that we are special and our sin doesn't count. He's saying that the blood of Christ cleanses and washes away our sin. That's what gives us this unique spiritual bond. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Well, that's what the Gnostics did. They said they had no sin. They were special. They could do whatever they wanted. And it didn't count. That doesn't mean they weren't sinning. They were just convinced that it didn't matter. And anything was permissible. Does that sound familiar? Do we live in a culture where anything is permissible? That sin is objective? That it might be sin in your eyes, but not necessarily sin in mine? That we all do what's right in our own eyes? Isn't that the culture we live in? A culture of darkness where anything is permissible? And I can find God in my own way. I don't need your church. I don't need your rules. I don't need you looking down on me because of what I do. In fact, you should accept me and be tolerant of the way I live. So really, if you think about it, you, conservative Christian evangelicals and and the like, you're sinning because you're not tolerant of my sin. Isn't that the message we get? It's Gnosticism. It's false teaching. It's false doctrine, and the world is buying it. And you know, what's, you know what is more, even more discouraging? 
the church is buying it. There are some people that, that I know that just have moved and they're, they're looking for a church and they found a church that they really liked and they, they you know, it was a, a bigger church. They started attending and the first thing they noticed that was a little bit strange, that they did, but they didn't really, you know, think too much of it, is when they looked at the bulletin and it said, Pastor and Mrs. Pastor Jones. Husband and wife pastors. Okay. That in itself is a little, you know, a little like not biblical. But that was their first warning. The second warning is when they went to church on a Wednesday night and one of their associate pastors stood up and said, I'm here to tell you that you just need to claim your million dollars. You just need to claim your Cadillac and God will provide it. What's wrong with that? They're buying into the Gnosticism. They're buying into the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine. They're, they're compromising. The church is buying this Gnosticism. It's not dead. It's very much alive. And we have to guard against it every day. If you start seeing this kind of doctrine creep into Victory Church, please Stand up. I don't think that's I don't think we're in too much danger of it. But I'm going to tell you something, guys. Sin is still sin. And it's still wrong. I don't care if culture accepts it or not. I don't care if they make you the if you have to accept it. I don't care if they make you make wedding cakes, whatever. It's still sin. Sin is still wrong. Nothing has changed from Genesis chapter two to now. Just because we're more advanced and we have greater knowledge doesn't mean we're immune from sin. It's still wrong. And you will still be judged for it. And you will still pay the price for it. And your family will still pay the price for it. And your church will pay the price for it. Because one day those churches that are buying into sin and buying these false doctrines are going to have to stand before God and give account. Those leaders. Scriptures tell us that... that those that, that want to be teachers, although teachers of the word, that's a good, that's a good calling, but there are, you have special responsibilities. You will be judged more sternly. So those pastors, those that are in charge of those, of, of, of those churches that God has put these churches in their, in their, under their care. They're going to be judged for that. They're going to have to account for what they did with this book. And if they allow the Gnosticism to, to creep in, they're going to be held accountable for that. And in the end, sin is still sin. So what do we do about it? We've all got this sin problem, don't we? Every one of us has this sin problem. So what do we do about it? Let's look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. Okay, we're not real good at that as Baptists, are we? When was the last time you confessed your sin? I don't remember any of you ever come to me and say, Pastor Paul, I really need you to pray for me because there's a sin in my life. 
Now, some of you may have done that with Pastor John, but I don't know that anybody's ever done that for me. I really feel bad. So if you want to do that, no. Um, we're having a hard, we have a hard time confessing our sins. It's not part of our culture as Baptists. We don't have, you know, like the Roman Catholic Church where they have a little booth and they go in and they confess their sins. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that we don't have that. It's not part of our culture. It's not part of our makeup to do that. We don't confess our sins. Who are we supposed to confess our sins to? You don't have to confess them to me or Pastor John or any other church leadership. All right. But Scripture does call us to confess our sins to who? To each other. All right. So next Sunday morning, we're all going to come in, bring a list. And we're going to stand up and we're going to have Confession Sunday. We're going to go down the row and everybody's going to tell us everything he did all week that was wrong. No, we're not going to do that because the place will be empty next week. We've got to pay for this building. so No, we're not going to do that. But what we, sh- what we are encouraged to do is confess our sins one to another. The only safe place to do that is in a committed spiritual relationship. Somebody that you can trust. If you've got a sin that's really burdening your heart, take it to a brother and sister in Christ who you have a firm relationship with so that you can bear your soul to them. You should, we pray, that each of us have somebody in their lives that they can pull aside and say, man, I'm really struggling here. Right? And I need to talk to you about this sin, and I need you to help me. I need you to hold me accountable for this. And when I'm feeling weak, I need you to call. I need to be able to call you and so that you can try to talk me out of what, I'm, what I really, really am, am trying to do. So you should confess our sins to each other. Who, are we, who else are we supposed to confess our sins to? Well, of course, to God. Now, confessing our sins to God, that's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Because don't you think he already knows? So what is the point of me saying, God, I really messed up here? He said, yeah, you sure did. What's, what does that, what's the point of doing that? God already knows. What do we gain by confessing our sins to God? First of all, You have to confess it to yourself. So what you're doing when you confess your sins to God is you're putting it into words. You're processing it in your own mind and in your own heart to say, I am convicted that this is sin that I need to take to God and I need to lay at his feet. Because if you don't do that, you can kind of push the things off into the darkness a little bit. and say, I'm not really going to even think about that. Maybe I won't have to get convicted of it. Maybe the Holy Spirit won't work on my heart over that issue. And I won't ever have to confess it to God. So confessing to God is not telling God something he doesn't already know. It's telling you something you don't already know. You have to process it and think it through and come to the conclusion that what you're doing is sin and it needs to be dealt with. So that's why you confess your sins to each other. But you confess them to God. If we confess our sins, he, capital H, meaning God, is faithful and righteous faithful and righteous that sounds an awful lot like the definition over in verse 5 when we were talking or in verse 6 where he's talking about he was in the light he's faithful and righteous what does god promise to do 
if you confess your sin. Write it down. Hold it against you forever. It's almost like you're married. I'm never going to forget that thing you said back in 1987. I think that's what God does. God keeps, God's keeping a sin log, right? He's writing all this stuff down. Now, I remember going to, going to VBS when I was a kid. And, we went, that's a little, and I remember the, the, the teacher, I was like five, and I remember the teacher um, telling us that when you sin, it puts a black dot on your heart. Every time you sin, it puts a black dot on your heart. And those dots build up until your heart is completely black. And I'm thinking, you're crazy, lady. I was only five, and I knew that was wrong. So God's keeping this sin log, right? And then when you die and you get to heaven, he's got this Super 8 projector. And he puts this tape in here, and he displays your life on this big screen. And you have to explain everything you've ever done wrong. Is that the way this works? Isn't that what we heard? I've heard that taught. No. What does God do? You confess your sin. What does he do with it? He forgives it, and then he forgets it. Right? He's righteous and faithful to forgive your sin. Now, this is God. If he forgives something, he forgives it all the way. There's no, oh, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold that against you until the next time you do that. It's none of that. I forgive you for what you've done. It doesn't exist. It never happened. When God forgives, he forgives all the way. Your sin is forgotten. It's as far as the east is from the west. Right? So, you think there's a value in confessing your sins to God? Yeah. He will forgive it. And then it goes on to say, He is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he's not going to just forgive what you've done. He's going to, through the work of the Holy Spirit, he's going to cleanse that unrighteousness out of your life. He's going to, he's going to remove the desire for that sin. He's going to work, in, if you, you know, if you let him, he's going to remove that unrighteousness from your life and give you victory over it. So you think there's victory over sin? Yes. Is it easy? No. But God can do it. Verse 10. It says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. That verse is, is, is specifically to refute the teaching of the Gnostics. That if we say we have no sin, we're making God a liar. Because God says that we are all sinners and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So if we claim to be sinless, we're making God out to be a liar, which in itself is a sin. So it's not possible now in our fallen state to be sinless. We make God out to be a liar in his word. His word is not in us. So we can't fool ourselves. Okay. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children. I think that's interesting. We have to remember when this was written. John would have been quite elderly at this point. And he was like he was like the head preacher in Ephesus, right? 
an apostle with all the uh, apostolic authority. But he says, my little children, it's a, it's a term of endearment. It's, you know, I love you like you're my, you're my spiritual children. Aren't my little children? I am writing to you these things so that you may not sin. But he's realistic. He says, but if you do, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Okay, what, is it, what does it mean to be an advocate for the Father? First of all, who is the advocate to the Father? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. How come Jesus gets to be the righteous one? I'm not the righteous one. I've got sin. But how come Jesus gets to be the righteous one? Well, because he's God and because he lived a sinless life and he was walking in the light and he was righteous. So he gets, yeah, he deserves that title. So Jesus, the righteous one, is our advocate with the Father. Now, what does that mean? He's our defense attorney. He's the one that's standing between us and God, and God is bringing down his judgment on our lives. He's saying, wait, that one's one of mine. He's accepted me. My blood has cleansed. That sin is no longer visible because I've washed it away. He's our advocate. He's the one that stands before God and pleads our case. Because each and every one of us deserves one thing, and that's death. One thing. It's the only thing we deserve. Somebody said, you know, if you read the, you're reading the Old Testament, you're reading uh, um, Exodus and, and Joshua, where they have all these battles and they're killing all these people. Well, that's not fair that the, that the Hebrews can go in and just kill all the people in the Holy Land. That's just not fair. And I said, God's not fair. And people look at you funny. What do you mean God's not fair? If God was fair, I'd be dead. Because what I deserve is death. So if God was fair, I, I have no hope. God is gracious, so I have hope. But if God was fair, I'd be dead. So he pleads our case before God. We all deserve to die. We all deserve to be condemned. Because none of us have lived a perfect life. None of us are righteous. Other than Christ himself. So he is in the place where he can stand before God and argue our case. Without him, we'd be condemned. Verse 2. He himself is the propitiation of our sins. That's a, that is a, a, a big hermeneutic word. Propitiation. Basically, it means to, to be made right. It means to be paid off a debt. He satisfied God's justice by taking our place on the cross. That's what that word means. And, what's, and he goes on to say, not only ours, but also those of the whole world. So let's pray. The band can come on. Lord, we thank you so much for the, for the message that you brought today. Thank you so much for John and the man that he was, and that you moved in him.
to write these words. And we know, Lord, that he wrote these words on the inspiration of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. These words that, that we read today are not words of men. They're words of God. Passed down through us through the ages from the pen of John. Lord, we understand who we are in relation to the light and who we are in relationship to righteousness. And Lord, I ask that you be with all those that have heard this and all that will hear it on the podcast and that these words move in their hearts and they see that the light is where we're called and the darkness is what we're to shun. And that even though we are fallen, sinful people, that Jesus Christ has paid the full price for that sin. That even though without Jesus Christ we're doomed to walk in the darkness and that we're doomed to be judged on the last day, with Him we walk in the light and we're redeemed. So Lord, I ask anyone that has not called upon His name, anyone that does not know the light, anyone that has not accepted the cleansing blood of Christ into their lives, that they do that now. That today is the day that they do business with you. I ask, Lord, you move in the hearts of all who hear this, that examine themselves and come to the conclusion that they are sinners in need of a Savior, and Christ is the answer. So Lord, I ask that if anyone is hearing this that has not made that decision, that they do so today. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Lord, those of us that know you, maybe struggling with sin, I ask that you work in our hearts. The Holy Spirit would move through us and convict us where we're, doing, where we're wrong. Show us the right way to walk. That if, if we're falling away, that you would bring us back. If there's sin in our lives that's disrupting this fellowship with God, that you bring us back on, onto the right path and back into the light. Lord, those of us that are working so hard trying to stay in the light, let us show us that we don't have to work so we don't have to work as hard as we are. That it's not about us, it's not about our work, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. If we just allow you to reign, then the rest will follow. Ask Lord you be with these people that you go with them throughout this week to put a special blessing on them. Allow us, send us out into this world to fulfill our purpose. Give us peace and so much turmoil. Give us peace that only Christ can bring. We ask for your blessings. We ask for your love. We ask for the light that you offer. Be with all those that are traveling, those that are sick and hurt, Lord, and all those that are calling out to you. Give us all that you can give us. Give us your peace and your blessing in Jesus' name. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. 
If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.